Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, if you would with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, Kayla, I forgot to put this in and I texted you, but I don't know if it goes through. You got it? Go ahead to Acts chapter, do that Acts reference for me. I just want to show everybody this really quick. This is a, uh, a verse that I want to just mention really quickly. You can keep turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but we're beginning a brand new series today, and I've chosen for the title of the series, Christian. And I want us to think for the next few weeks about what it really means to live a truly Christian life. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, by default, that makes you a Christian, right? But there's a difference between being a Christian and living as a Christian. Wouldn't you agree with that? Uh, there are times in my life where I know that I'm a Christian, I know that I'm a follower of Jesus, but sometimes I'm living out that reality a lot better than others. Now, this verse here, it's really the end of the verse I want you to see. It's, it's talking about... Um, the early church here, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. So there's a city called Antioch, right? It's a famous city, a famous city in the early church. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, and the disciples called themselves Christians. It says the disciples were called Christians at Antioch. And that's the origin of the word Christian. It had been quite a bit of time, just a couple of years probably, after the, just a few years after the resurrection of Jesus, that they had never been referred to as Christians. But something about those people and something about the way that they lived their lives in Antioch, they were different. They, now, many of them were Jewish people who worshipped in the synagogue, but people looked at them and said, well, I don't think we could really call them uh, Jews any longer, and they're certainly not Gentiles like us. And the way they live and the one they follow is this one called Jesus, who is the Christ or the Messiah. You know what? Those people, they're just little Christs. They're imitators of Christ. And so it was in that city, in that day, that the people around them looked at them and said, wow, that right there is a Christian. And you know, there's no, greater, there's no greater honor to the Lord Jesus Christ, or, or maybe I shouldn't say no greater, but it's a great honor to the Lord Jesus Christ when somebody looks at your life and says, you know, there is something different about you. What is it? And you say, well, I am a, I'm a Christian. And they say, I knew there was something different. And for the world to look at us and truly call us Christians. So this morning, I'd like to give you the first message in this series as we really unpack. And what I'd like to do is we're going to look at several key passages of Scripture. And many of them are theme verses, if you would, for the Christian life. And how many of you have a sort of life verse? Anybody in here, you've got a life verse that's okay. So I see a few hands up there. There's a verse, and that is a verse that you'd say, you know what? I just, I, in my Christian life, this verse I identify with. For my dad, um, he talks, there's a couple of verses I think he would mention. He's not here today. He's preaching in 
Pittsfield, but a couple of verses that, uh, that he's always mentioned over the years, of course, the one was uh, that we're no longer of the uh, putting off the works of darkness and walking as children of light. I know that's one of his theme verses, or if he's ever written a note to you or even an email at the very end, his, his, uh, the, the, the message at the end is always press on. And he uses that verse, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so verses like that are what I really want to look at. And, and rather than those verses just being, uh, you know, a, 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 a platitude or a statement that just a feel-good statement, I want to unpack a few of these passages. And this is the first one in 2 Corinthians 5. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. We'll look at a little bit longer passage, but let's just begin with these two verses. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Could you begin? Could you read that first part of the verse with me out loud? Ready? Begin. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that you'd help us, help me this morning as I give this message. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged. I pray that you'd help us to be challenged, Lord, by your word. And Lord, you know that I need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to make these scriptures plain to us. Speak to us as you would and help us to be submissive to your word. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me ask you this question. What is your why? What is your why? You say, well, what do you mean by that? What is your why? You know, I have the opportunity quite often in my other job to interview a lot of people for a lot of different positions. And one of the things that I always like to ask them is, is a question that I've kind of fine-tuned recently. And instead of just saying to somebody, instead of just saying to somebody, well, why do you want to do this? But to go a little bit deeper and say, what is your why? What is your why? You say, well, what is a why? What do you mean your why? I mean, what motivates you? What drives you? What compels you? Or what inspires you? There's a lot of things, a lot of ways people could answer that question, what is your why? In fact, there's a lot of bad whys out there. In fact, maybe you can help me this morning. It's been really cold, and maybe you're finally warmed up and relaxed a little bit, so don't get too relaxed in here. So what are some, what are some bad whys that people base their life on? You do what you do. Well, I do it because I want. What are some bad ones? Huh? Yeah? Oh, I see this. There are people, their whole lie, their whole why, not lie, <laughs> it's a lie, their whole why in their life is because they want what? Money, perhaps. Or maybe their why is another person. Well, my why is because I do this because, and that can be a good one or a bad one. There's some bad ones. You know, we think of the world, people are driven by maybe money or power or they're driven by sex, or they're driven by desires, or they're driven by the, that they, they want, they want, they want, and that's their why. There's also some good whys out there, right? Some good ones might be, well, my family. 
Is that a good one? How about reputation or character? Those are some things that undergird and they really give us, they give us some motivation for why we live. But for the Apostle Paul, what he says in this passage is he really identifies his why. Paul, why do you do what you do? Why do you live the way that you live? And as a Christian, that is the ultimate question because when we come to Christ, the whole why that undergirds all of our life changes, doesn't it? And for some, they exchanged a really bad reason for living with Christ. But for others, they had a, a you know, it looked like a, a good reason for living, but they found a greater motivation. And Paul puts it very plainly here. You look here in 2 Corinthians 5, verse number, verse number 14, he says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ constraineth us. You tell me, what is Paul's why? It is what? It's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. He says, the love of Christ constraineth us. Now, notice here the, these two concepts right early, off, early on as we see it. There's love, and then the next key word, if you're just kind of marking through it and you're looking at key words, you find the first one is love, and the second one is what? Yeah, you've got love and constraint. Love and constraint. Now, sometimes when we read these verses, Paul's writing can be kind of deep. You know, he puts a lot of big words right after each other, and sometimes we can just read right through it. But when we see here constraint or constraineth, what does it mean? What's, well, it, it, so it, it has the effect of motivation, but that would be more like, for the love of Christ compels me. But he doesn't say that. He says, the love of Christ constrains me. Has anybody ever been constrained before? What is that like? Tied up, controlled, limited, constrained. Now, there's a difference here. If I said, if I said I'm going to motivate or I'm going to, then I'd push you along. But here Paul says, the love of Christ constrains me. So it's interesting here that what you have are two almost, almost seemingly to us contrasting ideas. On the one hand, he says there's this great and wonderful love of Christ. And when he says the love of Christ, you know, all on its own, love is a powerful motivator in a lot of ways. If someone feels loved and accepted, they can do an awful lot starting from that place. But also, when you think of not just love, but the love of Christ, if love is powerful, Christ is the most powerful display of love. So you've got this awesome display of love, and then this idea of constraint or control. Have you found that people naturally resist control? Do we? If, I came, if somebody came up to you, and, and or how about this? How many guys in here, maybe girls too, you're, you're, you love cars, right? Cars are fun, fast, cars, machines, whatever. Well, the very worst thing you could do to that engine is put a governor on it, right? Didn't they, when you were kids, they'd make those, um, back in the day, they made those go-karts. People could drive around and they put a limit. They put a governor on how fast that thing could go. Now, I am not a gearhead kind of guy at all, but how many of you ever did something like that where you took a governor off of something like that and let that thing, you let that thing move, right? 
is we don't want to be constrained. We don't want to, now maybe some of you are very obedient speed limit people, um, but let's just say I got to meet the chief of Plainfield the other day, and fortunately he's a very nice guy. He's a really nice guy. Um, and Aaron's driving right behind me and uh, let me know that uh, he appreciated that, uh, that warning as he comes five minutes past. Um, but we don't like limitations. We don't like to be held back. But Paul here is celebrating his constraint. Paul here is celebrating the limitation on his life. Why? Because despite the fact that people, you and I, we naturally resist control, the fact is this, all people are controlled by something. We're all controlled by something. Even those people that would say, you know what? I don't want rules. I don't want religion. I don't want any of those uh, any of that traditionalism, I just want to live free. If they're honest with themselves and they really look deep in their life, they'll find there is something or someone or some belief system that is ultimately in control. And the difference here is that what Paul is saying is he's not saying that Christ has constrained me and he's made my life difficult or Christ has made my, um, my life miserable. I'm so constrained. Paul has found, and you and I as Christians, if we truly experience the depth and wonder of a truly Christian life, we've experienced a type of constraint that is to be celebrated. We have found an ultimate why for which we live. The love of Christ constrains me. In other words, Paul says this. He says that, that he is so overwhelmed by the love of God for him that he just can't behave any differently. He can't be anything else. He says, well, you, you know, Paul, why don't you behave this way? Paul, why don't you do this? And people can look at Christians too and say, hey, well, why don't you do this and why don't you do that? The answer for, for a Christian isn't, well, I have all these rules that constrain me, and they all these rules, they make me live a certain way, and I live by this code. That's not the point. Paul doesn't point to any of those things. He says, when I understand how much Jesus loves me, how could I live any differently than I do? You want to understand the why behind my life? It's not just because I live by the Ten Commandments, it's because I understand and I know the one who gave those commandments and I know his great love for me. He says, the love of Christ constrains me. I can't be anything different. The love of Christ is the controlling principle of my life. Because of that, let's see what else he says. Back up now with me in verse number 12. I'm going to look at the, this part of the passage this morning from verse 12 down to the end of the chapter. And verse number, so right in the middle, right in the middle of this statement about the love of Christ, right in the middle of this section is that statement about the love of Christ constraining him. But it's in the middle of a conversation. And in verse number 12, Paul says this, For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. Now, if, you, if we just jump into this, that's a little bit of a confusing verse. 
right? Just jumping in, hitting the ground running with this verse number 12. What's going on here? Well, notice what it says. We commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that ye may, now here's the key to understanding it, that ye may have somewhat to answer them. Mark the them if you're taking notes in your Bible. Mark the them. If you understand the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's some really, a really nasty group of people right here referred to as, oh, you guys, you got to help me out. Some of you had it. Right here, this nasty group of people I'm about to tell you about is referred to as them. It's the them, them. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, listen, I understand you need to be able to give an answer to to them. Well, who are the them? They're the people that say, why would you listen to Paul? Believe it or not, there's a whole group of people among the Corinthians that says, why would you listen to that guy? Have you ever seen him? He's not very impressive. In fact, he's kind of a, and I don't know exactly what they were picking on, but they started to pick on his appearance. He's kind of weak and sickly looking. And much of the writing to the Corinthians, Paul has to defend that he was sent by God to them. So he says, listen, I want you to have something to answer the people who are all impressed. What is it that these people, this them, what are they most impressed with? Yeah, they're impressed with the outward appearance. Paul says, listen, I want to give you something that you can say to them. I want to, I want to give you something to the people. I want to give you something you can say to all the people that have their opinions. And that's the first thing I want to show you this morning. And that's number one, when you are someone who has the why question settled, when you understand that the why to your life, the why to my life is the love of Jesus Christ, that means we can live while we're constrained by Christ, we're free from the opinions of others. We can live our lives free from the opinions of other people. Do you know how many people are controlled by what others think of them? How many? I would say all of us. I mean, is it just me? Or do you sometimes find yourself living and behaving a certain way because you are concerned of what someone else will think of you? Well, for the true, for the true Christian, and, and I'm saying as a believer... We can be Christians, but not experience the Christian life. And for someone who's experiencing the depth of their relationship with Christ, they say, you know what? It doesn't matter what anyone thinks of me. Paul would write about this a lot because Paul was ridiculed. Paul was challenged and questioned. I mean, here's a guy that has given his life, first of all, for the Lord, and second of all, he's given his life for other people. I mean, he spends his time just sacrificing for others and spending time with others and, and often living in poverty and difficult circumstances. And now people are criticizing him. People are ridiculing him and for silly things like how he looks and how he talks. You see, I'm afraid sometimes people never get past seventh grade, do they? And for the them, 
and even today, they didn't make it past seventh grade. I had one of the, one of the, uh, a young man say to me recently that in his school where he goes, I, he said, you know, they're, everybody's skinny shaming me. I didn't even know that was a thing that existed. But apparently our kids in school, they've got to deal with if they're, not being, if they're not being bullied for being overweight, they're being bullied for being underweight. If they're not being bullied for this, they're being bullied for that. It's a major problem. Why? Because at an early age, our world is conditioning one another to be controlled by the opinions of other people. The world doesn't make it quite past seventh grade. We just find new opinions to form. Well, Paul is being accused, and he says, I'm not going to be controlled by the opinions. Actually, Paul says, I will only be controlled by one person's opinion, and that is the one who I am confident loves me. He says, the love of Christ constraineth me. Don't be controlled by other people. Let's just take a moment right now, all of us. I mean, and myself, there have been times, maybe even this week, where I'd say, you know what? I made decisions, I acted in certain ways, not based first and foremost on what Jesus would think of me, but based on what other people would think of me. Well, the, the Christian is able to live not controlled by the opinions of others. You'll notice here there were two accusations against Paul. Take a look. In verse number next, where are we? Verse 13. He says this, For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober... It is for your cause. Again, a little tricky of a verse here. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. What does he mean, beside ourselves, sober, it is for your cause? You know what this means. He's, it'd be as if the people were saying, Paul, that guy is just beside himself. What do they mean? Paul, he's just... I heard somebody say, you guys are... You got, you, I, I'm hearing it. You just don't have that confidence you need that. It doesn't matter if you say the wrong thing. What does it matter what other people think of you, right? Okay, so here we go, okay? They say, that guy, Paul, he's just beside himself. In fact, you might even say he's, he's crazy. And Paul says, hey, you want to call me crazy? I'm crazy for, there you go. Somebody's, come on, everybody, help me out here. He says, you want to call me crazy? I'm crazy for, I'm crazy for Jesus. I'm crazy for God. So you got on the one hand, people are saying, Paul, that guy's crazy. He's nuts. He's beside himself. But now you talk about not being able to please anybody. You got a whole nother group of people, and they say, Paul, that guy is just way too, way too serious. I mean, that guy just needs to take a chill pill. He just needs to, to, to relax a little bit. I mean, all this talking about surrender and, you know, all this talking about being crucified with Christ and all that. I mean, Paul, you're just taking this thing a little too seriously. On the one hand, people are saying he's crazy. On the other hand, people are saying, well, you're just way too serious. And Paul says, listen, if people are going to say I'm crazy, I'll be crazy to the glory of God. If people are going to say I'm taking this thing way too seriously, I'll take it too seriously for the glory of God. Any Christians in here ever had a family member or a former friend after you became a Christian tell you, I think you're going a little crazy here? Anybody ever experienced that? 
Anybody ever experienced someone say, you know something? I think you're, I mean, it was good that you found church. I mean, I, I understand that helped you a little bit, but don't you think you're going a little overboard? We, we've, ex, we've all experienced that to some degree or another. Even I, as a young man trying to you know, establish my, my life in, the, in a correct way, I, had a, I remember having a family member ridicule me. And literally, not, not an immediate family member, but an extended family member to say, well, I'm not going to live my life by a book. It's like, oh, okay. Listen, Jesus says that, Jesus said to his disciples, they'll hate you, but it's because they first, what? Hated me, Jesus said. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not, I think there's an error that can be made here as well. I think with our friends and family who are not yet believers in Jesus, I think we need to have wisdom and discernment and compassion with them. I don't, I've sometimes known Christians that have alienated their, their, their family, and that's unwise. We need to be patient and loving. But at the same time, when it comes to the way that we're perceived, if we're walking humbly before the Lord, it really doesn't matter what someone, Paul says, it's, he says, your opinion of me matters about this much. Why? Is it because he is so self-assured and self-confident and arrogant? Not at all. It's because he's constrained by an incredible love. So he says, I'm not controlled by the opinions of others. Paul, you're too crazy. Paul, you're too sober. Paul says, listen, say what you want, but verse 14, I can't be anything else for the love of Christ constraineth us. I am who I am because of Christ and his love. For the love of Christ constraineth us. You see, what he says here is not only as a Christian am I not controlled by the opinions of others, but as a Christian, oh God, help me to always be conscious of the meaning of the cross. Always conscious of the meaning of the cross. What do I mean? Well, look here at verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because, next three words, they're circled in my Bible, because what? We thus judge. We thus judge. In other words, when he says, we this judge, what he means is, I thought about it. I made a decision based on some information. I learned something. I was conscious of something. And all of his judgment, all of his decision making, and before he came out and said, I'm going to be who I am to the glory of God because I'm constrained by his love, he said, before I could have that confidence, before I could have that assurance, I came to a realization. We thus judge. And look at how he describes the cross of Christ. He says, we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Let's walk through this, this statement in verse 14 and verse 15. We thus judge that if, and he's 
Paul is thinking about the cross. He says, we thus judge that if one. Who is that one? That one is? It's Jesus. He says, stop for a minute and let's focus on the one, the only one, the true one, the eternal one. Let's think about the one, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the pure and perfect Savior. What does it matter what everyone else thinks of me when I'm conscious of the one? that one who died. Paul thinks about the crucifixion. Paul wasn't there the day that Jesus died, but Paul had doubtless seen crucifixions. He understood what the death death on the cross meant, and he thought about the pure and perfect and spotless Son of God hanging on the cross, bleeding and dying on the cross. And Paul is about to tell us that that consciousness, that realization of the one who died, is changing everything. He says that Jesus, the one, that if one died for, he didn't just die, but he died in the place of. In the place he died for. He died instead of all. If one died for all. All is me. All is you. And Paul says, I thought about that, I thought about Jesus. I thought about his death. If one died for all, there's hope for all. Then were all. Wait a minute, he died for all, but that means the same group, me, you, all of us, without exception, are in need. We're all dead. One died for all, then we're all dead. That Jesus is the one answer for all, and he is the greatest need of all. He said, I'm conscious, I'm conscious of the meaning of the cross. I'm not controlled by other people's opinions. I'm conscious of what it cost Jesus, what the cross cost him. And then verse 15, he says this, and all of that completely changed me. Understanding the cross changed my life. And that he died for all, what's the next word? In verse 15, and that he died for all, that. It's a purpose word. It's a purpose. The death of the uh, the death of Christ was to accomplish this purpose that they which live. We were dead in our sins. We met Christ and by faith we became alive in Christ and now they which live is who? It's us, it's the believer, it's the Christian. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Do you see that first statement there? What he says in verse 15 is, because of this I realize that life is not mine to live. My life is not mine to live. The, the, the purpose, remember the that, he died for all that, my life would not be my own. My life is not mine to live. 
That changes everything. Listen, don't let it just be church talk. It's something I've been trying to discipline myself to do. Because like you, I leave church on Sunday, I go to sleep Sunday night, I wake up Monday morning, I get in my car, and I go to work. And work is a different place than church. Have you noticed that, anybody? It's a different place. And I've got things to accomplish and things to do and people to encounter. And I'm just, I'm trying. I'm not, I don't always do it right, but I'm, I'm trying now to, to stop and say, Lord, what do you want me to accomplish at work today? I mean, really, how many, how many of you believe that, that, that if you, let's say you process widgets at the plant, how many of you believe that Jesus has a greater purpose for your widget processing than you do? You believe that? That your job, your calling, your vocation is not just a means to an end, whether you process widgets at the plant or whether you fill coffee cups at Dunkin' Donuts, Whatever it is that you do, to, to start and say, Jesus, my life is not mine. It doesn't matter what others think about me. I know I have a job to do today, but in this job, what do you want to accomplish through me? That's Christian living. If you're, You might not work anymore. You might be retired. We have some retired folks. Hey, your day is not yours. Your day is his. Paul says the whole reason Jesus died was so that our lives would no longer belong to us, but would belong to him. That they which live should not henceforth live to themselves, but unto him which died and rose again. It's a new reality that changes me. And do you know what it happens in my life, and I assume it happens in your life, is that we go through moments where we say, you know what, man, God is working in my life. It's just wonderful to be a Christian. When I was a, when I was a kid, we'd go to church and Sunday school, and we, we'd sing that song, I am a, uh-oh, some of you sang that song too. I am a, see, I won't do the whole thing because Aaron's starting to get that cringe thing. Like, is my brother going to sing that whole song for us? So anyway, I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-A-S-D-I-A-N. For I have, who knows it? For I have C-H-R-A-S-D in my H-E-A-R-T and I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. You can still do it. Still got it. Still got it, amen? I am a Christian. Paul understood that. He lived his life with that reality that I am his. But it does us no good to get up and say, I am a C, and sing that whole Christian song if nobody else would look at our lives and say, you are a C-H-R-A-S-D-I-A-N. You are a Christian. But to start the day and say, God, my life is not yours. My job is not yours. It belongs to you. Write it down. I mean, maybe right now, each of us as a church would say, you know what, tomorrow morning, on my way to whatever, whether it's school, work, my retirement day, whatever it is, I'm just going to simply pray that prayer tomorrow. Lord, what should I do at your job today? What should I do at your school today? Try it. Do it this week. Set yourself a reminder to pray that prayer. Lord, this day is yours. That's Christian living. And I mean it. I mean, let's do it. Right? How many would do that tomorrow? You say, amen, I'll do that tomorrow. I mean, why not? I'm not asking you to, like, you know, put money somewhere or something like that. I'm just saying, hey, why don't we all just pray that prayer tomorrow and see if it changes our day? 
and maybe share a testimony with somebody. Say, you know what? We went to church. We had a message from the Bible, but we wanted to make sure that it wasn't you know, just an over-the-head kind of message. But today, this week, we're going to say, you know what, Lord? Today is your day. What do you want me to accomplish? To live the Christian life. Life is not mine to live. And now see what, in, what flows out of that. Now we come to verses 16 and 18, and you'll notice if, I under, if I'm changed by this, this, I'm not controlled by people's opinions because I I've understand what the cross means. And the cross changed my life. It's not my own. And because of that now, verse 16 through 18, I don't see other people the same way. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth we know him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. For sake of time, let me give you the quick explanation of that verse. When I look, when I look at people, I don't see them as physical beings. I see them not as fleshly beings, but I see people as spiritual beings, as souls. He says, well, we're not focused on knowing people after the flesh. There's a spiritual purpose. Isn't that interesting? People are attacking Paul for his physical appearance. And he's saying, no, it's not about the physical. It's about the spiritual. It's not about what that person can do for me or how that person perceives me. It's about what does God want to accomplish in their eternal soul? And how might he use me to do that? Verse 18, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. You know what happens when you stop looking at people physically and you start looking at them spiritually? You fulfill this ministry in verse number 18. He hath given to us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Do you see that? We have a new purpose. We have a new purpose. I'm, I, my life is not my own. That means I don't, look at people with, I don't look at people with physical eyes. I look with spiritual eyes. I see souls. And because of that, I understand my purpose is to fulfill the ministry of, what's it say? The ministry of? Reconciliate. What is reconciliation? Let me, let me give you a uh, let, let me give you a quick example of the ministry of reconciliation. I need my brother to come and help me real quick, and my son. All right. So Aaron, because he's closer. I forgot I have another brother back there. All right. So Aaron's going to come up, and Gideon's going to come up. These guys are they were once friends, and now they have become because this is his youth pastor. So they have become bitter enemies. All right, you have to look at each other with much more spite in your eyes. Oh, this, this, this stare, stare down. So they're over here. And now when two people like this are at odds, I'm just like, because Aaron's my bro, you know? But Gideon is my son, you know? So I'm like, hey, man, we're really close. I'm like, hey, bro, we're really, he's cringing some more. I love this. I'm like, hey, we're really close. If only, if only you could be close to him, and only if you could be close to him. So now I have taken upon myself the ministry of reconciliation. I'm over here like, Gideon, I know you and Aaron don't see, your Uncle Aaron, you don't see eye to eye, but 
But I got to tell you, he's a great guy. He's, I've known him all these years, and he's never let me down. What I, what I want, what I want, haven't always been proud of him, but you know, um, and that Aaron Gideon is not really so bad as you think. You guys, so what I want to do is, so you understand what's happening here? In a, in, a, in a way more important sense, mankind, people are at odds with God. And God is over here. So you get to be, aren't you lucky, all right? So God is over here and he says, I want to be reconciled. I sent my son to bring people back. But Christians are too busy living like this. Well, man, I hope they think I'm, I, I, I don't want them to think I'm too weird or anything, you know? I don't want him to, you know, you know I'm, I, living my life, you know, and I got to go make some money and I got to do all this. All the while, I forget that my main mission, because I'm a Christian, right? I am a C. I'm a Christian. So I've got to say, hey, listen, friend, my whole goal in life is to take a step with this guy closer this way. And then over time, through, through friendship and through witnessing, is to say, hey, let's get a little closer. And let's move them a little closer. What am I accomplishing now? The ministry of reconciliation. Listen, sometimes it happens in a moment. Sometimes you share the gospel with somebody and immediate reconciliation comes. God's already worked in their heart. But a lot of times in life, it's through your job, through your associates, through people you know, and through relationships, moment by moment, day after day, he trusts me because he says, you know what? You are a C. Yeah, I'm a C. Like, you know what? And you live it. Yeah. And you speak it. It's got to be both. You got to live it and speak it. Some people just want to live it and never say anything. Some people want to say it and not live it. Doesn't work. You got to do both. You got to live it and speak it. Because with living it and speaking it, the ministry of reconciliation happens until, Lord willing, that day when both parties are reconciled. Give these guys a hand. Great job. Thank you so much. That, you can be seated. That is the ministry of reconciliation. It's me realizing, as a Christian, I'm not going to be perfect, I'm not going to get it all right, but i got to stop focusing on what the whole world focuses on. i got to get a different mindset. I'm in this world, but my whole mission of in this world is to take people who, I, like, who are like I once was, lost, separated from God, and to grab them by the hand and patiently bring them to the Lord. But the great thing is this. It's not me doing the bringing. I just do the speaking. It's the Holy Spirit that comes and brings them along and brings them. But he's going to use me and he's going to use you. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. But it all begins on this foundation that says this, the love of Christ constrains me. I can't be anything else because God's love for me is so great. His love for me is so great. And I find my acceptance in him. Verse, verse number 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Who did the work here? He did the work. And when I find, listen, God's love is not based on my loveliness. My security has nothing to do with my worthiness. It's his love that makes me worthy. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what we live for. 
and we carry that message to those around us. So the application is this. For the believer, a couple of things. The devil knows that you've been called to a ministry of reconciliation. So do you know what he's going to do? He's going to do his very best to distract you from that mission. He knows that you are loved with a love that is incomprehensible. So he's going to distract you from that love, and he's going to get you focused on other things that will start to control your life. And that job that God gave you, that he wants to use you at, that can start to control your life. Your family that you're blessed with could start to control your life. The talents and abilities, all of these things that God gave us as tools for his glory could start to take control. So let's get back to what Paul says and say, you know what? I'm going to be controlled by nothing but the love of Jesus Christ. I'm going to surrender my life again to him. Get back to the cross. It's not about try harder, do better, speak up more. It's about getting back to the gospel. Christians, that's what we need to do. But you might be here this morning, or you might watch this video, and you might say, you know what? I have never been reconciled to God. I have never been saved. I don't think I am a true Christian. Listen, the most important decision you can make is the decision to be reconciled to God. Your sin, just like mine, it separated me from God. I was lost. I was on my way to hell. But I, dis- but I found out that Jesus loved me, that he took all my sin so that I could all have all of his goodness. And by faith, one day I received him as my Savior. Have you ever done that? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? First of all, whether you're here or you're watching, has there ever been a time in your life where you were reconciled to God? Have you ever been saved? Have you ever said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you died for me, and I ask you to save me. If that's never happened, I want to encourage you to do it right now. Wherever you are, say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, but I believe you died and rose again, and I give my life to you. Please save me. That's what it means to be a Christian. Call on Jesus right now. Ask him to save you. But Christian, have you gotten distracted? Have you been sidetracked? Is this morning God speaking to you with a fresh opportunity to get up tomorrow and say, God, what do you want to do with your day by your servant? God, give me this ministry of reconciliation. As the piano plays, as we go to a time of prayer, however God has spoken to your heart, just speak with him in this time of invitation this morning. Lord, we thank you that we've had this time today. Thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. Pray that you'd help us to sing joyfully, 
as we conclude this service today. In Jesus' name, amen.